Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. They tell me that there's a football game scheduled for this weekend. One of my colleagues believes that if you don't attend the Utah and BYU football game, you've lived a whole year for nothing. (laughs) I wish you well. I deem it an honor to be in your presence this morning. I say this not only because of who you are, but because of who you may become. Some 36 years ago, a promising young man served as the student body president of this university. And today he stands tall as the president of BYU after distinguishing himself as a man of law, a man of faith, and a man of courage. And I speak of President Rex Lee, one who has been an inspiration to all of us. As I look into your faces, I wonder how many future presidents of this choice institution of higher learning sit in the audience this morning. In a meeting of the 70s, held on November 17, 1844, President Joseph Young told a congregation that he would preach to them at some convenient time, provided they would draw it out of him by the prayer of faith. President Young had in mind some important truths which he felt should be shared. However, he knew that the Holy Spirit had to be present if the preacher and listeners were to understand each other and be edified and rejoice together. Though I have a prepared text this morning, I invite you to exercise your faith and prayers in my behalf so that something meaningful will be drawn out of me and communicated to you during the next few minutes. Several years ago, I presided over a mission in Texas During those precious years, I was privileged to serve with more than 500 missionaries, 515 to be exact, most of whom were young men and women of college age. As each missionary completed his or her mission, I would hold an exit interview and ask questions such as, what have you learned these past two years? Do you have plans for the future? What do you hope to become? How will you retain your missionary character? Most of the missionaries acknowledged the virtues of a full-time mission. The majority indicated that they had plans to attend the BYU or Ricks College. Almost all returned home with desires for temple marriage, a family, some honorable vocation or profession, and visions of health, wealth, and happiness. But a few interviews made me wonder whether I had succeeded as a mission leader. A conversation with one elder included this exchange. Do you plan to return to the BYU? Yes, I want to become a physician. Why do you want to become a physician? He said, so that I can make a lot of money, live on the right side of the tracks, and retire early. I was disappointed by this selfish and materialistic response, and I wondered where the missionary's mind and heart had been during his term of service. 
As my wife's grandfather would say, the young man was like the guy who fell out of the tree. He just wasn't in it, <laughs> nor had he been in it. Over the years, I've tracked very hard, or I've tried very hard to track our missionary associates without intruding upon the prerogatives of local church officers. I know where most of them live. I know where most of them, what most of them are doing. I know about their families, their approach to religion, and what they're doing in the world of work. I know how some pursued and realized professed goals. I know why some forsook dreams and acquiesced to lesser challenges. And I know of a few who helped me understand the suffering in these lines. Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it might have been. I do not have the power to turn the clock back and improve upon the counsel I gave the missionaries a generation ago. For the arrow is flown and the moments are gone. I do, however, have this and other opportunities to advise members of the rising generation, including a few of the sons and daughters of those who served with me in Texas. I believe that God will hold me accountable if I fail to help young men and women recognize their potential and capitalize upon the once-in-a-lifetime privileges extended them, not only while serving missions, but also while attending school. It is said that advice is one thing which is more blessed to give than to receive. This fact is illustrated in an experience of Dr. George Harris while he was serving as president of Amherst College. One autumn, he addressed the students at the first assembly of the year. But after three or four sentences, he got tired and breaking into a happy smile said, I intended to give you some advice, but now I remember how much is left over from last year unused. With that, he took his hat and walked out. Perhaps you too have a little unused advice left over from the last year, advice received from President Lee and others. It would be presumptive of me to walk out as Dr. Harris did, and since I have no hat, I shall plow ahead trusting that my counsel will prove beneficial to you. The state admission of Brigham Young University is to assist individuals in their quest for perfection and eternal life. I emphasize quest because it implies an exciting search for truth and a journey involving high adventure. It also suggests purposeful living and progress toward a worthy destination. Some of you will pursue your goals with an eye to the sciences. Some will show interest in the fields of communication. Others may move forward with a flair for the humanities and so forth. It is hoped, however, that all of you, regardless of discipline interests, will conduct your search in a manner that will enable you to recognize and embrace things as they really are and things as they really will be. And such will be the case, I believe, if you heed the following counsel. Seek God daily. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Seek earnestly the best gifts. Seek not the things of this world, but seek first to build up the kingdom of God. 
and seek the interest of your associates and do all things with an eye single to the glory of God. I shall address these five seeks in more detail. Number one, seek God daily. Delight to know his ways and forsake not his ordinances. These words of the prophet Isaiah remind us that our spiritual batteries must be recharged each day through prayer, meditation, scripture reading, and righteous living. Like Israel, we must gather our spiritual manna on a daily basis and allow it to nourish our souls. If personal worship ever becomes burdensome and your soul loathes the light bread of prayer, scriptures, or church, look out. A kind Heavenly Father may not send fiery flying serpents to correct your behavior, but he may withdraw his spirit and leave you to God alone. It is possible that some returned missionaries resume their studies at BYU thinking that they have placed God in their debt and that he owes them something in return for their two years of service. Hence, they take sabbatical leave from God and religious practices while in pursuit of educational goals. Such students, if they don't repent, will have a whale of a time similar to Jonah's. They too, if there isn't a course correction, will painfully reach the point when their souls will faint, as did Jonah's, within them, and they will cry, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. There is a dangerous error, circ error circulating among some Latter-day Saints, taking its toll among the young. And it is that a balanced man or woman is one who deliberately guards against becoming too righteous. This misconception would have you believe that it is possible to live successfully and happily as a double-minded person. I love the story of two young men who had been schooled in a monastery. Perhaps you have heard it. One morning, as they sought adventure, they passed a cathedral. The more righteous of the two remembered that they had not prayed that morning and said, How can we hope for God's blessings upon the day? The less righteous one responded, My friend, I have prayed so much during the last few months that I feel that I have somewhat overprayed myself. How can a man have too much religion? asked the first. It is the one thing that availeth. A man is but a beast as he lives from day to day, eating and drinking, breathing and sleeping. It is only when he raises himself and concerns himself with the immortal spirit within him that he becomes in very truth a man. Bethink ye how sad a thing it would be that the blood of the Redeemer should be spilled to no purpose. In a recent issue of the Daily Universe, a staff writer reported a trend of religious perfectionism. Religious perfectionism was defined as placing unrealistic expectations on oneself as a result of literal and rigid interpretations by scriptures and church leaders, of directives given by the scriptures and church leaders. I suppose that there are a few super-conscientious, impatient young people who establish high expectations for themselves and suffer excessive guilt when they fall short of the mark. 
These fine people need to be reminded that perfection will not be obtained overnight or in one fell swoop. It is a gradual process of becoming finished and complete in Christian living. At the same time, however, it is important that in the search for balance, one does not abandon standards, compromise principles, or rationalize mediocre religious performance. We who call ourselves Christians never cease essaying to be saints. We do our best day by day and trust in the Lord. You must yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and seek to acquire Christ-like virtues as you conduct your studies. You must allow the Spirit to call the cadence of your life in and out of the classroom. And remember, to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life eternal. Someone has said, if your aim in life is merely to satisfy your appetites, you might as well go graze with the cattle. You're not cattle, and your appetites go well beyond the gratification of physical appetites. So trust in God and seek Him daily, remembering that where one succeeds because of his smartness, ten succeed because of their faithfulness. No one is more lonely, even in, on a crowded campus, than the person who turns his back to deity and attempts to go it alone. He is often the one who cries, it might have been. Contrarywise, no one feels more supported than he who courts the Spirit and walks with God. Number two, seek learning even by study and also by faith. I resonate with what President Rexley has said about the bilingual nature of BYU, indicating that it is dedicated to excellence in both mind and spirit. While on the campus, every student is expected to learn the language of the mind, a language which centers in honest inquiry. At the same time, each must learn to distinguish the voice of the Spirit, that still small voice as he pursues his studies. It must never be forgotten that it was the Holy Ghost, or Spirit of Revelation, by which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground. You too may struggle through the maze of facts and figures in your several courses of study, and even walk out of dry classes unharmed, if you seek learning even by study and also by faith. I know of one or two returned missionaries who sought learning by study and forgot all about faith. Somewhere in their quest for knowledge, they turned up the volume of the voice of the mind and drowned out the voice of the Spirit. They turned a deaf ear to this old but ageless warning. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves, wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. I also know of some returned missionaries who sought learning by faith alone, 
hoping that the spirit would do the needed library research while the body was playing elsewhere. Just as faith without works is dead, so is faith without study somewhat lifeless. Don't forget the scripture reads, seek learning even by study and also by faith. The dust jacket of a publication of the writings of Dr. Hugh Nibley, a man who is universally known and admired by church leaders and scholars, contains this interesting statement. As a young man, he memorized vast portions of Shakespeare and studied Old English, Latin, Greek, and other languages. As a student at Berkeley, he began reading at the southwest corner of the ninth level of the library and worked his way down to the northeast corner of the first level, studying every significant book that caught his eye. When I read that, I couldn't leave it aside. According to my sources, the shelf distance from the southwest corner of the ninth level of the old Berkeley Library down the eighth floors to the northeast corner of the first level covers a distance of approximately 200,000 linear feet, the length of six and one-half football fields. In reference to this report of Dr. Nibley's unquenchable thirst for knowledge, <laughs> President Hinckley commented, his encyclopedic knowledge has given him tremendous and well-deserved status among his academic peers. It also has made him a powerful advocate of the work of the Lord. His appetite for learning has been whetted by the gospel he loves. Well, how fortunate you are to sit at the feet of knowledgeable professors who share with you information about great men and great ideas of the past and the present within the context of faith. Unlike scholars in other places, each teacher in this institution has a mandate to keep his subject matter bathed in the light and color of the restored gospel. I'm convinced that when a teacher keeps his subject matter bathed in the light and color of the restored gospel, the student's appetite for learning is whetted, just as Dr. Nibley's appetite for learning was whetted by the gospel he loves. How could it be otherwise when the glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth? But how unfortunate it is when a student suffers blindness of mind and hardness of heart and fails to see the light or distinguish the color of the gospel in subjects that are studied. No one, whether he be teacher or student, ever progresses significantly by looking for shadows rather than for light. Time is precious and must not be squandered looking into the gutter when the upward view is filled with the beauties and wonders of the universe, the beauties and wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as someone else has counseled, I would urge you students not to let a day pass without contact with the best literature of the world. Worm yourselves into the minds of the great thinkers. Walk in the footsteps of the intellectual giants who have gone before and mark well the behavior of those who have invented, discovered, and mined the streams of knowledge. However, as the soul is died by the thoughts, let no day pass without contact with the scriptures. In forming character and in shaping conduct, they still have their ancient power. Very few complete their formal educations and lament it might have been. 
when they have sought words of wisdom out of the best books, learning by study and also by faith. You must remember that faith brings a spirit to your study, a spirit that serves as a tutor and abets learning. We call that spirit the Holy Ghost, he who teaches all things and brings them to your remembrance. Number three, seek earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given. The scripture continues, for they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments and him that seeketh so to do. There's wisdom in the story that Dr. Robert K. Thomas, the former academic vice president of Brigham Young University, tells about his struggle to find his place in life. Early on, he decided that he would become a professional boxer. He was large in stature and seemed to possess all the qualities needed to become a world champion. Fortunately, however, he heard the wake-up bell through a retired pugilist who taught him a painful but impressive lesson. After suffering a humiliating beating at the hands of the old fighter, Robert returned home defeated in both body and spirit and complained to his mother about his lack of talent. His wise and loving mother comforted him by saying, Oh, Bobby, what you have is enough. What a pity it would have been if Robert Thomas had not been forced to forsake his boxing dream. It was through defeat that he gained victory because he wouldn't give up. One door was closed abruptly in his face, but he sought another door for the release of his special talents. In time, he was moved in the direction of writing, teaching, and other academic pursuits, where greater gifts were discovered and used to bless the lives of thousands. Well, the same can be said about you. Whatever you have is enough, providing you buckle down and use to full advantage that which God has given you. When the winds of adversity strike your ship, tighten your sails and attend your course as Bob Thomas did and your reward will be the discovery of true direction in your life. Once in a while, we meet a young person who becomes discouraged and complains that he was absent when the gifts were distributed at that great distribution center in the sky. Such a complaint is contradicted by the word of the Lord. We read statements such as, such as and all these gifts come by the Spirit of Christ. And they come unto every man severally according to his will. For there are many gifts, and to every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Go to then, said President Boyd K. Packer. You who are gifted, cultivate your gift. If you have the ability and the desire, seek a career, employ your talent as an avocation, or cultivate it as a hobby but in all ways bless others with it. Set a standard of excellence. Employ it in the secular sense to every worthy advantage, but never use it profanely. Never express your gift unworthily. Here at this school, undergraduates are educated in broad areas of human knowledge. This provides you many golden opportunities to investigate interests, find flares, and generate gifts that will lead you in proper directions. Hopefully, you will chase the star that is exciting and challenging rather than the one that is easily reached. 
And I would pray that you find a professor along the way who takes more than a passing interest in you and who helps you to recognize the impossible dreams that lie dormant within you. I contend that precious time and energy can be wasted if in the probing for gifts a person is not perfectly honest with himself. I have heard it said you can't lead a cavalry charge if you think you look funny on a horse. If you do think you look funny on a horse, then postpone the charge. I would add, sell the darn horse, forget the charge, and seek to lead out in some other way. <clears throat> I fear that many, too many, men and women look back upon their educational careers with feelings of it might have been, all because they failed to seek earnestly and cultivate adequately God-given spiritual endowments. Don't let it happen to you. Four, seek not the things of this world, but seek ye first to build up the kingdom of God and to establish his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Notice the priority and promise in this inspired statement. You are told that the kingdom of God comes first. Things of the world should be secondary. So if you keep your priorities straight and follow this admonition of the Lord, there is the promise that other things shall be given to you. Further light is shedded upon this subject by Jacob, the son of Lehi, said he, But before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches if you seek them. And ye will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked, and to feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. Once again, the priority is established. The kingdom of God first, other things afterwards. Note also that two conditions are placed upon the quest for riches. They are if you seek them and if you seek them for the intent to do good. We live in a very materialistic world. The love of money and the trinkets it can buy seem to occupy the thoughts and efforts of many. Altogether, too many chase the almighty dollar at the expense of all the better things that money cannot buy. Recently, I interviewed a priesthood leader whose tithing in the past year was a six-figure amount. Six figures. He owned many businesses, and everything he touched seemed to turn a profit. Nevertheless, he was one of the saddest men I've ever met. At the conclusion of our conversation, he wept and said, I would give up all that I possess for a little love and harmony at home. I returned home feeling that I was indeed a very rich man. Alma taught his wayward son, Seek not after riches nor the vain things of this world, for behold, you cannot carry them with you. One misguided soul who had amassed a fortune and was dying declared, If I can't take it with me, I'll come back for it. To him and others like him, I say, try it. Most of us know of a young man who was given some precious records and cautioned that Satan would tempt him with the thought of getting rich. He was told by a heavenly messenger that he must have no other object in view in getting the plates but to glorify God and must not be influenced by any other motive than that of building the kingdom of God. If purity of motive was essential to the success of Joseph Smith, surely 
It is essential to your future success and happiness. Unfortunately, the words it might have been fall from the lips of those who scramble for riches and push aside God. Many never learn the principle of serendipity, nor the promise that the upright shall have good things in possession. The scramble for riches without principle or feeling leads always to the dream of the night vision, wherein the hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. 5. Every man and woman seeking the interest of his or her neighbor and doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. There's a companion scripture which reads, And let us not be weary in well-doing, as we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. The printed aims of BYU include reference to a service ethic. Among other things, it states, hence BYU should nurture in its students the desire to use their knowledge and skills not only to enrich their own lives, but also to bless their families, their communities, the church, and the larger society. Students should learn and demonstrate that their ultimate allegiance is to higher values, principles, and human commitments rather than to mere self-interest. I have no idea who penned those lines, but they're inspired. The cultivation of mere self-interest is a contradiction to this university, as is the teaching of false doctrine. The opposite elements of truth and selfless service are at its very heart. Joseph Smith, the prophet of the Restoration, likened the quest for truth to climbing a ladder. He said, when you climb up a ladder, you must begin at the bottom and ascend step by step until you arrive at the top. And so it is with the principles of the gospel. You must begin with the first and go on until you learn all the principles of exaltation. Each rung on the educational ladder is some portion of knowledge acquired through serious study. But each ladder has two rails which the learner must grasp to steady his climb out of the pit, the pit of ignorance. One rail is the iron word, the word of God. Those who cling to this steadying influence ascend the ladder with an eye upward. The other rail is the community of saints among whom you live and serve. So long as your hand is in the hands of others, including classmates and caring teachers, your chances of falling or failing are diminished. I hope you realize the merits of living in a university community which is organized into wards and stakes. This church organization extends to all of you the two railings so essential to your progress. You must therefore cling to the church, cling to the scriptures, and serve with your peers so that you'll not be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine or theory that would block your climb upward. You should regard the church organization here as a type of laboratory, a place where classroom teachings may be applied. Experiences within this laboratory will help you share teachings and render services that will clinch your learning. Recently, Gordon B. Hinckley counseled some college students to love the Lord, cling to the church, and live the gospel. He emphasized, do not lose sight of the fact that the church must ever remain preeminent in your lives if you're going to be happy as the years pass. Most everyone is familiar 
with that BYU motto that's inscribed down the hill. Enter to learn, go forth to serve. I appreciate the pure intent of these words, but if I had my way, they would be rewritten to read this way. Enter to learn and serve, go forth to serve and learn even more. Have we really learned anything unless we've shared it or applied it? Earlier I made reference to a young man whose avowed goal was to return to BYU, become a physician, make a lot of money, and retire early. I also stated that I knew a few returned missionaries who had forsaken dreams and, and whose disappointments had helped me understand the meaning of these soul-wrenching words. Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. I realize that those who fail and disappoint are relatively few at this university, very few. Studies have shown that the majority of BYU graduates become faithful Latter-day Saints and leaders in the communities in which they choose to live. Notwithstanding all of this, there are a few who look back upon their educational careers with regret, and a few are too many, especially when the few include people who that we know personally. I do therefore with all the energy of my soul counsel you young people, seek God daily. Don't walk or study alone when divine companionship is available or when divine tutorial assistance is yours. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Don't feed the mind and starve the spirit Look at all subject matter through gospel lenses. Seek earnestly the best gifts. Don't neglect the gifts that are in you, nor allow anyone to despise your youthful ambitions. Seek not the things of this world, but seek first to build up the kingdom of God. Don't allow the chase of the almighty dollar to lead you away from almighty God. Seek the interests of your classmates and neighbors, and keep your eyes single to the glory of God. As I have said, enter to learn and to serve, go forth to serve and learn even more. These five bits of advice are simple, obvious, and very important. Do not take them for granted. For if heeded, they will push aside all of the heartache in the lament it might have been, and will replace it with a jubilant shout, we did it and we're so very blessed. The prophet Alma taught that men are called as high priests because of their exceeding faith and good works, and according to the foreknowledge of God. He also made mention of others who had not been called to this holy calling because they reject the Spirit of God on account of the hardness of their hearts and blindness of their minds, while if it had not been for this, they might have had as great privilege as their brethren. I emphasize the words, they might have had, or it might have been. So it is with the privileges of a higher education. Exercise faith, engage in good study and works, court the Holy Spirit, and become all that you want to become and more. I witness to you that God lives, Jesus is the Christ, we belong to the true and living Church led by a prophet who receives inspiration and direction from Almighty God. This I testify of in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.